thanks for coming on the podcast. Let's start back first thing in 1984. That's where your national career started as an anchor of TSN Sports Desk. How did you get that job and what did you enjoy about it? Well, I got the job because I was willing to work harder than anybody to develop some skill on camera. And that really remains solely the biggest reason for being able to do things in my career that I wanted to do. I was obsessed with getting better. I had, before I went into broadcasting, nothing really in in my life in terms of a direction, in terms of something I wanted to do. And then when I finally accepted the fact that broadcasting was my really only dream, I just dove into it. And even though I'd never worked in television before, I was able to convince TSN to hire me, you know, this sort of raw, never before seen on camera rookie. Did you go to a university or college to study broadcasting? Yeah, I went to U of T and uh, I definitely didn't study broadcasting there. But for me, the, the moment when my life changed was in third year. I knew I was going to fail out of University of Toronto and I was driving one day and I, w- I can remember going to an exam and I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going. I'm going to walk into the radio station. I'm going to say this is what I want to do. And uh, from that moment on, my life was driven towards getting better at broadcasting. And I ended up going to Ryerson for radio and television. And that was a huge thing for me, too. How do you get your mindset to pitch that idea? Like, what do you say to try to convince him to, to hire you? Well, the thing about being on camera uh, on the air is that there's no real convincing that you need to do other than they're going to see your demo tape and they're going to do an audition with you. So you can say as many different things as as you want. Ultimately, you'll have to prove that what you're saying is true. And for me, my entree into the door was to say, just because I haven't done it, don't assume that I can't do it. So give me an audition. And I, I remember they got a couple hundred tapes from people and I made mine up at a local cable station and I remember I made it through the first cut and they were talking about interviewing or auditioning several people and I said you know you got to audition me because I think I can do this and if if not then tell me that I shouldn't come I shouldn't have showed up I didn't belong there and kick me in the ass and get rid of me yeah and I mean you've got more than 5,000 episodes later covering sports the 1988 figure skatings at the Olympics in Calgary and hosting the Dublin Inquiry which is uh, uh, out of all those three, which is your favorite accomplishment? You know, they're all distant past. For me, most of the, the really exciting things have been in the last 15 years or so. I mean, most of it would probably come down off the record, but also the Whistler Olympics for me, uh, being able to to host from Whistler uh, on CTV was probably the most fun, the most exciting thing and the most rewarding thing I'll ever do in broadcasting. And it's funny you mentioned that because we were just, I mentioned the off the record part because that was in 97, you received your own show. Uh, many people know uh, what I'm talking about when I say off the record. So let's talk about that. How did the opportunity come for this and what was the original concept? I think the opportunity came because the right person was doing the job that created the opportunities. There was a change in the program director or the vice president of programming, whatever the position was called, in 1997. And it happened to be somebody that I'd worked with before. It became pretty famous in television as an executive, Keith Pelley. And he knew that I was 
really eager to do something that was personality driven and he had this idea for this show at this time and he pitched it to me and uh, I didn't love much of his idea but there's a few things that actually really stuck and um, I, I, I made one smart move at that point I thought you know what I'll give him a few things and gradually over time I'll change him and that's what we did and we evolved from being three guests to start with with one always having to be a TSN personality he wanted to have three TSN personalities as guests every day and that's the idea that I hated so I said well you know why don't we try to find two other people to replace those TSN personalities that come from different aspects of life musicians and writers and actors and hockey players whatever it is so that's kind of how we started and there wasn't anything like it even though I think most days it wasn't that good it was still pretty unique and pretty fresh and people really liked it so the idea I guess was to have you and then three other TSM personalities talking like sports other current events yeah, it would, it would just be sports because TSN, uh, you know, essentially doesn't broadcast anything else. So anything that could be loosely described as sports, we kind of, for the first decade, we kind of portrayed the show as being a place where the social, moral, and political aspects aspects of sports are discussed as opposed to who do you think is going to win, who do you think is going to lose, that kind of stuff. And that, that also was fresh and new and different. Nobody else was really doing it at the time. And then that allowed us to, to go away from only people who would know sports who could answer sports questions and put on American personalities in particular who were big names who would draw eyeballs to our show yet probably couldn't tell you much about the various sports. Yeah, I, I actually like the, the uh, what you said there, um, you know, because again, everyone has an opinion whether they follow sports or not. I mean, sports is a... Uh, Again, you an activity in itself, but there's circumstances around sports that people can relate to, right? So, like, whether someone's taking a stand against racism or if uh, something happened in hockey, such as the debate of should fighting still be in hockey, everyone has an opinion whether you watch the sport or not, what you think of it. Everybody has an opinion, or at least everybody that you would invite on a show and that would agree to come on a show like that would have an opinion about social issues, about moral issues, about political issues. And those all are generated by sports. You just got to search a little harder for them than just checking the standings. And we used to say if uh, people stop screwing up, if people stop doing bad things, if people stop crossing the line, we're going to be out of business. In doing that show, what were some of the highs and lows? What did you like about it and what didn't you like about it? I think what I looked like most, and no hesitation in saying this, was meeting the wildest cross-section of people that anyone uh, in broadcasting will ever meet. Uh, I just met people from every aspect of life, from every sport, from every form of entertainment, from just everything that you can imagine. You know, if you just rhymed off five names, I, I bet you I've met a couple of them. So that is a rare opportunity for any human being to do, to be able to meet all all of these people and to control the environment. So, you know, here I am telling the guests before the show how to handle the show and I'm talking to like really famous people and I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. I am talking and Spike Lee is listening. He's used to directing everything, but I'm directing him. I just really enjoyed that. You know, I really enjoyed the show. I was a big wrestling fan, so I enjoyed uh, when you had wrestlers on and like, you know, your Bret Hart, your Undertaker, which wasn't, which is odd to see him out of character as well, sometimes talking. And, 
the one thing I just want to mention, because you mentioned about having control of an interviewer, what are some things you learned over the years of doing Off the Record? There, I, I hope there would be a lot of things, given the fact that we did 3,000 shows. But I, I, I would say, as an interviewer, first and foremost, to to listen to what people are saying and to to respond to what they're saying, not what you necessarily want to ask them, because they'll often give you clues as to where you should go with it. And are you okay with that, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That is Brando Landsberg, and uh, star of the uh, brand blog, also known as the Lands Blog. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I learned, I, and I think I learned how to deal with people, how to get the most out of people, how to challenge people. And I think I, I learned uh, from getting to do it every day what buttons to push to get the most out of people. And sometimes you had to be very gentle and coaxing and, and sort of hold their hands so that they would relax and give us a good show. And then other times I had to get in the their face and prove that I could be cockier, more arrogant, more pushy, more forward than they were. So they felt like, oh my gosh, I got to raise my game to go with this guy. So I, I think I think that really gave me a look inside people and a way to evaluate them that I never would have got in if I hadn't done a show that was driven by all of these guests and all of these people. Do you approach interviews differently? Like, do you go in with the mindset of this is my personality? And they have to adjust, or do you have to adjust to their personality? Well, I think you adjust to their personality, but you use your personality to, to do that. You know, it, it's. I think the goal is to is to do the best possible show every time, and that can mean you taking a step back and just asking a gentle question and listening to their eloquence. Or sometimes that can mean getting in their face and challenging them and trying to get them mad and trying to get them pissed off at you because you know that they will fight back and it'll be a really good show. So I, I think you take your ego as the host out of it and you say, my only goal is to do a good show. And if, if, uh, if I have to look like I'm losing this argument, then that's okay, as long as it's interesting and, and good television. So I, I think that you, I mean, you, you should never betray who you are because people will see through that and you want people to know you and feel like they understand you. Whether they like you or not is a different thing. I mean, I tended to be very polarizing. People would say, I really like them or I really don't like them. But that's okay, as long as I'm not trying to convince those that don't like me to like me by sacrificing some of what makes me me, if that's that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I totally get it. Like, I, I'm a big fan of sometimes I go on YouTube and I found recently I look into a lot of shoot interviews that uh, wrestlers do and there was one that came to came to mind that was uh, Ric Flair was talking about Bret Hart and he was telling, I think it was you that he was telling that uh, Bret Hart wasn't a big draw and you were kind of coming back at him and saying like, uh, but he has these fans and Ric Flair said everybody has these fans but like you stood your ground and like I was saying to myself, okay, he's standing his ground but he's not getting in his face, he's just telling him, hey, you know he has fans, you have fans, like maybe he didn't draw but this is like what I'm telling you but it was never kind of like, oh, let Ric Flair say say what he wants to say you kind of stood your ground which i thought was really cool well my instinct is thank you my instinct is to always in any aspect of my life is to challenge things that need to be challenged i mean that, that's the way i am face to face that's i i just you know we had a i was in a meeting yesterday and everyone was kind of speaking their minds and my mind was speaking in a different way than everybody else's because it was like no i i i, I think that otr 
are taught me to be that way, taught me to question, taught me not to back down. My first ever interview that I, I really felt like, oh my gosh, can I do this, was with Vince McMahon, actually, you're talking about wrestling. And I, I, I really pushed him hard, and I got him to admit some things that he didn't want to admit. And that bolstered my confidence, because I knew, hey, if you can go toe-to-toe with Vince McMahon, if you're not going to back down or be intimidated by him, then you're probably not going to be intimidated by anyone. Who are some of your favorite guests to have on, and do you have a favorite moment or segment or episode? Probably the episode that I, I'm most famous for is the one where UFC fighter Chael Sonnen got up and walked off. And uh, it was a satellite interview, so he wasn't face-to-face. And uh, it, it became really famous because it was, it, I mean, you, you don't see it in television that often where a guest just decides, you know, I'm done with this guy. Uh, so that in itself really stood out. But the nature of our conflict became really interesting because I, I was just trying to tee up a guy who was one of the most intelligent, best-spoken guys that, that exist in sports. So I, and I was told beforehand, just challenge him. Just give him something and, and, you know, he'll hit it back at you and you guys will scrap it. It'll be awesome. But he was not in the mood for that on that day. So that became something that um, I became really famous for. Uh, I think it's had like two, two million hits on YouTube. And I, I mean, I took, if, if you look at the comments underneath it, it's just bizarre how much people hated me from that um, because they loved Shale and because he had all of these followers. The things they said were uh, because we, I interviewed Chael this week and I went back on YouTube to look at some of the comments that people make because people watch them as, as you do regularly, even if they were from five years ago or more. So I'm reading them and I'm going, oh my God, people are, people are saying, you know, Landsberg suffers from depression. I hope he slits his wrists. Now, that, that didn't bother me at all. I mean, what do I care what some stranger says? But I, I, I remember responding to some people saying, hey, dude, I respect your opinion. You like Chael, you don't like like me, but don't you think that's a little harsh? Yeah. Do I really deserve to die because I challenged your favorite UFC fighter? It's one of these worlds that people can hide behind a computer now. They can say anonymous, and they just get away with things. And like that's, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't like it personally. I think if there's an issue, you talk about it face to face, or like you know, everyone has their own different style of doing things. But like you know, I'll even admit to you, face to, or uh, phone to phone. Uh, right. There are some interviews that I'm kind of looking and saying like oh that was a shit interview or that he could have did better there but like then there's other ones that I'm really looking at and saying like he knocked it out of the park but a thing that I want to ask you from just a broadcasting perspective of that is how did you handle that situation after he kind of walked off because I mean it is kind of live yeah, I, I, I think I handled it by going into the control room and saying to the people around me, so the team, I said, what the fuck happened there? Like, was he really mad? Was that fake? You know, I have no, I, like, I had no idea what, what was going on in his head. I, I didn't know whether he was just putting on an act because he was like that. I mean, Chael brought a wrestling attitude to UFC and he generated interest in his fights way beyond any ability that he may have had as a fighter. I mean, he was a really good fighter, but he wasn't one of the greatest, yet he was, I think, the highest paid guy in the UFC because his pay-per-views numbers were so huge. So I, I didn't know at the time. Like I, I, I thought maybe it's just acting because I, I had I had seen him give and take in interviews and never become offended or be offended but kind of pretend offended. So uh, I didn't know. And then I reached out to him and he was pissed. And what's really interesting and what makes this story so good is that we've gotten to be buddies. And uh, I did his podcast a couple of months ago 
ago and he actually said on the podcast this was really cool I should put this on my resume he said I actually learned how to interview from your style because your style is to never hesitate Michael he said you know I realized every time I would pause when you were interviewing me you would jump in with the next question and that was really challenging to to be in my position being interviewed that way he said so I you know I worked hard to, to be able to do that and I mean that's the benefit too of this of this whole story um, as well is it's so easy for someone to jump the gun or assume things are easy until they put themselves in their other person's shoes and in this case it all worked out the other one that I kind of think of too was and I don't know how big this is but I remember CM Punk for instance was getting a little bit mad about that yeah it was was huge I mean, yeah. that was the one that I took more abuse on than anything else. And see, the chill one, I, I look back and I said, yeah, you know, I was being a bit of a dick because I kind of challenged him in a way just to goad him. And I, I, I did it for the right reasons. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was just trying to get him to react. And I thought we would have fun. But CM Punk, I'll, you know, I'll stand by it. The things that pissed him off, he was he was a baby. He was, uh, he, he, I asked him if he'd ever taken a real punch in the face. And he was offended by that. Well, I'm sorry, you know, when you, when you fight in the WWE, you don't take real punches in the face. Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, it went downhill from there and uh, I, oh man, do not ever have a, a battle um, your fans on Twitter with another guy's Twitter fans when he's got three million more than you. Oh, it's just, it's you just, ain't gonna win. No, it's, it's just basically you're asking, it's like bringing a, a knife to a gunfight. It's just not gonna work. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I responded to, to many of them because I, I, I never I never get offended. I didn't even get offended by the, the slit your wrist one. And, you know, I, I tons of them were, were actually um, involved the word Jew. And, I, you know, I, I would just come back because I, I've kind of prided myself on not being trollable. You can't say anything that I'm going to get pissed off enough to respond to in a way that you want me to respond. When you put tweets out or when you respond in any kind of social media in a way that is so insulting, so over the top, you're obviously trying to get a reaction. And if you don't give people a reaction, then you totally diffuse their ability to do what they want to do. No, and I mean, I got to give people like you credit for that kind of stuff because, you know, I see things that uh, even women broadcasters get on their Twitter of people commenting on like their looks or, you know, whether they should just go home they shouldn't be in the business and they just kind of diffuse it and i'm thinking like man that's that's hard to do but when you're able to do it i mean it it just makes you look so much better because i I remember a few weeks ago um i think pierre lebron was tweeting out something about the nhl playoffs and i just couldn't follow along what he was saying he said the california teams have been making the playoffs or since or in the finals for like three or four years straight and i just couldn't understand did he mean Anaheim or all California teams? And then someone came at me and said, that's why he's syndicated and you're just a podcast. And in my mind, I was thinking like, you don't even know me. You just looked at my profile and that's what you got out of that. And I was thinking to myself, like, should I go back at this guy? And then at the second time I was thinking like, no, he has a right to his opinion. It wasn't that big of a deal. Not like anything massive that he came at me for like my ethnicity or being a Newfoundlander. So I I thought like, just let it go. 
Okay, well, I was going to go there. I was going to make fun of both your ethnicity <laughs> and your Newfoundlander background, but now I, I've decided not to. The lesson is, and this is what you can learn from from me and my attitude about it, is that when 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 you do a podcast or you do a TV show or a radio show or whatever, when people watch you and listen to you, they are entitled to any opinion. They are never wrong. If someone watched OTR and said, "Hey, I hate Landsberg. I think he's a jerk," then they're right because that's what's going on in their in their mind. How can I tell them? you're wrong. Similarly, if someone thought that you were really good, then they were right as well. So uh, there's no such thing as a wrong opinion. Everyone has a right to the opinion. And if they say things to you that you find offensive, either ignore it or come back in a way that shows that you're not offended by it. You're just bigger than it. Okay, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, and that's something that, uh, I mean, in the radio environment and TV environment right now, I mean, like, with the idea of social media being big, that's what they're trying to teach us in school as well, is, like, you know, handle your emotions and, like, be a, better, uh, a bigger person, because, you know, back in the 80s, you guys didn't have, like... Twitter and Facebook or people coming at you on a computer, they'd actually say it to your face. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all changed. And I, I think that I probably, as much as anyone in Canadian television, probably heard stuff that, in theory, I should have been offended by, but never was. I mean, I would say every day uh, I someone made a comment about me having plastic surgery. It, it, was, it became ridiculous. It was like the running joke amongst people that I worked with, um, because people were, were convinced of it, saying, like, unbelievably horrible things too and they never bothered me and I never denied it because I thought I look way bigger and way better if if I don't try to defend myself against trolls that's gonna do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight our thanks to Michael Landsberg for coming on the show remember you can find past present and future episodes on TobinTonight.com Spotify and iTunes follow us on Twitter like us on Facebook and leave a comment or two for Toby and myself, this is Jacob saying, thanks for listening and good night. I'm Sarah Burke and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.